podcast for the 3rd of May 2022. Happy Tuesday to you. I am Derek Hunter. I am your host. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast. That's where you enter to win the signed books and do all the contests and do everything. Help show support for the program. Appreciate the hell out of it. I'm in a bit of a hurry right now. I'm in the midst of a fast because I have to go to the doctor to get some blood work. So I just... I have to do this early and then get to the doctor and then I can finally eat. I don't know why. Normally, if I don't have to eat, if I have to fast for this, it doesn't bother me, but it's hitting me hard today. So I want to get to the action. We got a lot to talk about. So and uh, yeah, so let's get started. Oh, also, um, just in case, give everybody a warm up. My, and if you got some prayers to spare, my father is currently in the hospital He has uh, what they think is a bowel obstruction. Hopefully that's all it is. They've been, I don't know. You know what? I'm not going to give you the details because they're gross. But uh, he seems to be doing better. Hopefully, hopefully that uh, takes care of itself or they take care of it. We'll know more later today. Didn't get to learn much yesterday. But uh, the relief, there's some relief, what have you. So, there you go. So if you got some prayers to spare, that would be appreciated. I'm hoping that he can get home in a day or two. So hopefully that will happen. Otherwise, I might have to jet back to, to Michigan and do my part. But until then, my dad would be mad if I didn't do my job. And I have to do my job. And there is a lot of that job to do. I've got to start off today. You know, I watched... I tried to, I guess I tried to watch some of that uh, White House Correspondence Dinner stuff. Not Saturday night. I wasn't about to waste a Saturday. I went, I used to have fun going to that thing back when I was, you know, it was new. There were a lot of celebrities there and it was fun to crash. And oh boy, howdy, it was a blast. And um, I don't know. It was also you know, single, and even when I wasn't single. It was still fun to go. You get into the parties, you get into the after parties, you you get uh, the pictures with the celebrities and everything, and you just meet these people, and you go, oh, that was fun. And then the novelty wears off. I don't know. Once you once you get completely finished with puberty, once you grow up a little, for some people it'll never never go up. And what's funny is now they go and they they uh, they hate attend. Right. I went. I didn't want to go. I'm better than everybody else. But we had to go for work. My work. You now you didn't have to go. Nobody's forced to go to this thing. I was invited to a couple of the parties. I, I didn't go. I just that's not enjoyable to me. It didn't have anything to do with it possibly being a super spreader event. It had everything to do with a whole bunch of obnoxious people hanging out that I didn't want to hang out with. So I didn't go. There will be, you'll hear them, I never go, people, or I uh, I went, but it was out of spite. The people who never go are probably never really invited, and the people who went out of spite really went because they're desperate to go. They're desperate to go. I don't begrudge them. It can be fun. If you're older, I guess it's kind of pathetic. Then it comes about you, and you just want to be seen there, and... Frankly, this year, the bar for celebrity was pretty low. The biggest celebrity there was Kim Kardashian. 
that I've seen. Kim Kardashian, like, okay. Social disease. So I watched the the routines. Trevor Noah had some good jokes. Obama, or not Obama, Biden had a couple of decent jokes. But mostly his jokes were, and this is why it doesn't work. I don't know why I'm giving them this Apple research, but I'm not the first person to ever say this. The reason that most of Joe Biden's jokes fell flat is that they weren't about himself or the press. They were about Republicans. The point of it's a charity event. You're supposed to go up there and you're supposed to uh, roast, not in the Comedy Central kind of way, but roast, gently poke and prod the president. And then the president's supposed to come up and gently poke and prod the people who poked and prodded him, as well as make some jokes at his own expense. Joe Biden's jokes or the attempted jokes were about Donald Trump and about Republicans. Then it just becomes douchey, becomes nasty. Like, okay, now you're just saying the things you always say with a little bit more snark, not particularly witty snark, but the snark of a Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel isn't funny to begin with, so you've got a bit of a problem there. They have all these late-night comedians... um, writing their material for them and they just can't deliver it because the the late night comedians and their staff their writing staff are all on the same team you can't you can't go to a roast and have a good spirited fun time if you're saying the nasty things you always say with a mild punchline at the end of it that's not what a roast is you're supposed to actually I don't know, make fun of yourself. If you remember, by the way, Joe Biden was standing there on stage or sitting there on stage. He didn't stick around for the dinner, but he sat there with his uh, giant white tooth mask smile and uh, giggling right along with Trevor Noah as Trevor Noah was talking about rising gas prices, rising food prices. And everything. He's like, ha, 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 yeah, those things are looking up. Gas prices are up. Food prices are up. And Joe is sitting there going, ha, 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 laughing hysterically. That should be, that should be. A, at least a web ad for the Republicans by the end of today. Actually, should have been already Sunday morning a web ad for the Republicans, but they need to get that out there. So if you remember, George W. Bush, in, after the invasion of Iraq, so 2003, 2004's White House Correspondents' Dinner, I don't remember, I don't know why I remember this, but he made jokes about their the inability to find weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. You can find it online. And like uh, he's looking under a table, he's doing a slideshow. And there was a picture of him, pictures of him around the White House. He was making fun of himself and the reputation that the media had created for him that he was an idiot. This is, this is what you're supposed to do at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And one of the jokes he made about himself is there he is looking under a table and he goes, oh, no weapons of mass destruction down there. And then he's looking under something else. And he says, These weapons of ma- those weapons of mass destruction have to be around here somewhere. Now, the room laughed. Chris Matthews laughed. But come Monday, by Monday, the left had decided that what they were laughing at on Saturday night was no longer funny. That it was, in fact, wrong. People were dying. American soldiers were dying. This is back when they pretended to give a damn about American soldiers. American soldiers are dying, and the President of the United States is laughing about this? And I remember vividly Chris Matthews riding his high horse about this thing, so outraged 
that George W. Bush would make these jokes, and how dare he? But Joe Biden's sitting there laughing about inflation. People are suffering. People can't afford things. And there's the president of the United States going, <laughs> laughing the way he Maybe he didn't get the joke. It's entirely possible. Probable, actually. But that is not a good look. Will the press today be talking about that? I doubt it. Will the press ever remark on that? And maybe some will. The conservative commentators will on Fox, not on CNN or MSNBC, because they don't have any conservative commentators. But that was the big thing. That was their big uh, nerd prom, as they call it. Oh, we're so cool. We have this. There is no profession that awards itself more things than journalism. Journalism is, it outpaces Hollywood in its love for itself. Probably because it's Hollywood for ugly people. They, uh, they love themselves to begin with, but they're also unattractive people inside and out. So they try to overcompensate for that with, you know, lacquer etched with their names in it. <laughs> well, they don't, nobody likes me as a person except for other people I absolutely despise. Still, though, I've got a lot of lucite. So there you go. So I didn't, it's not, I didn't get any audio. I didn't bother to get any audio because it didn't, it didn't register. It didn't seem worth it, to be honest. It was a waste of time. But what isn't a waste of time is I want to spend a little time on this uh, New York Times attempted assassination of Tucker Carlson. It's kind of funny. Honestly, let's be truthful about this. Tucker doesn't care. Tucker tweeted out a photograph of himself mocking, <laughs> mocking the New York Times, holding the cover of the New York Times and laughing hysterically. But they're out there. They're desperately trying to find some way to hurt Tucker. But I don't think that the media realizes just how much they've already hurt themselves. And how, because of the decades of hurting themselves slowly, the death by a thousand cuts that they have inflicted on themselves, that they can't ruin somebody like Tucker. Oh, maybe they could ruin somebody you never heard of or somebody on the rise. You can kneecap them and get their legs out from underneath them. But the media is so polluted now, so corrupted, and so exposed as the frauds that they are that they couldn't even take out an anonymous female real estate agent with a Twitter account. Yeah, the libs of TikTok. The libs that they tried desperately, the Washington Post, under the guidance of Jeffrey Bezos, the world's uh, second richest man who seems to have penis envy when it comes to Elon Musk, sicked Taylor Lorenz on discovering who the libs of TikTok person was and outing them, trying to destroy them. And they will, now that they have been outed, now that the story has run, that person, that woman, will never be invited to cocktail parties on the Upper East Side of Manhattan for the rest of her life. But since she was never going to be invited to those to begin with because she thinks wrong, the o that's the only impact on her. That and she had to go into hiding for a little while because the left-wing army of flying monkeys wanted to kill her. Because that, that was the ultimate goal. They wanted to scare the hell out of her. And if somebody went so far as to kill her, eh, Jeff Bezos has got deep pockets. They can pay the family. <laughs> I'm only partially joking. But it failed. 
the libs of TikTok Twitter account has it started off at the time of the story. It had about 500,000 followers on Twitter. Now it has over a million followers on Twitter. All they did was make that woman stronger. I'm not going to give her name out because she doesn't want her name out. And that's fine. Her name is irrelevant. They made her stronger. They made the account stronger. They brought it to a broader audience. And what's funny is I think it was counterproductive because I think that the, the New York Times reader, the average New York Times reader, read that article and thought, my God, this lives of TikTok is the new Ava Braun. She's horrible. She's a monster. I've got to see exactly what they're doing. I'm going to see this monster. I'm going to go and retweet this so the world knows. So my inner circle of wealthy white suburbanites know what's going on in the world. And they went and they looked at the videos. And the way the videos were portrayed in that New York Times piece by Taylor Lorenz is nothing like they were in reality. The teachers were described as a kindergarten teacher who cares deeply about the kids. And then there's the video of somebody with purple hair and spikes to their face saying, I'm going to tell your kids all about various types of sex. And I want to do I want to do my these are my kids in kindergarten. And if I want to show them graphic details of intimacies between men, that is perfectly my right. And I think even the Upper East and Upper West side of Manhattanites were sitting there going, what? They're horrified by it. So they brought a new audience to the libs of TikTok. And they get, I don't want my kids learning this crap in school. No wonder they can't read. No wonder this kid can't write. They're learning this stuff in, in, in class. So the whole thing backfired. And the whole thing is going to backfire when it comes to Tucker, too. Because it's all predicated on lies. Tucker Carlson isn't a white supremacist. It's the dumbest thing. Those of us who know him know that's absurd. Tucker Carlson, unlike most people you'll meet who are famous, is exactly what he is. That's exactly how he is. There are some people on TV. Some people are uh, the same way they are. There are other people on TV. Maybe they, I don't know. They, uh... They pretend to run into Rachel Maddow at a restaurant and see how polite she is if you want to go up and fanboy her or even have a discussion with her any way, shape, or ask for a picture. See how that works out for you. But um, Or Chris Hayes or any of the other people, not just, not just on MSNBC. There are some people who proudly present themselves as one thing and have reputations long earned over a long career of, um, I don't know, firing staff, losing staff, being absolutely horrible, horrendous people. But Tucker is exactly what you see. He is exactly what you get. This is who he is. He's always that way. I've, it's not unrelentingly positive. He's not unrelentingly happy, but he's genu- generally happy. His wife loves him. He loves his wife. His kids love him. He loves his kids. His friends love him. He loves his friends. And that's enough for him. That's enough for him. Other, oh, you're gonna, you're never going to get the uh, New York Times editorial board to write nice things about you. Well, Tucker kind of wants that, the nasty things. He he revels in that. He's a bit of a boat rocker. When you get to know him, you can see it on on the show. He he says things that get people upset, and he says things in a way to upset liberals. Little slights, little things. It's funny. 
it's hilarious if you know what you're looking for because Tucker likes to rock the boat. It's that simple. But the New York Times and the left-wing industrial media complex does not like to have the boat rocked. They do not have sea legs. They have squeamish stomachs and vomit uncontrollably all the time at anybody who dared stray from their thought plantation. So they can't handle this. They don't know how to go after somebody who disagrees with them with a smile and in the face of their disagreement, laughs it off. Laughs it off. Look, Tucker's made enough money that he could easily just go, this isn't worth it. I quit. I'll li- you know, I won't be able to live high on the hog, flying private. I don't think he does fly private, but you know, he wouldn't be able to live like a billionaire. But Tucker has enough money that if he decided to quit, he could quit. He doesn't have to work. He's doing it because he enjoys it. Just like most of these people, they have enough money. They don't need to do this. They enjoy it, right or left. And part of that enjoyment that Tucker derives from this is the reaction that he gets from these left-wing lunatics like the New York Times, who sent a bunch of reporters out there to try to find out the truth about Tucker Carlson, that he's he is a racist. Yeah, there's an original charge. It just doesn't hold water. It's laughable. He doesn't have any guests who disagree with him. Uh, He tries. When's the last time you saw anybody who disagrees with Rachel Maddow? So I'm going to go through this this thing just a little bit. I don't want to go through it point by point because it's so pathetic. And quite frankly, I don't want to give the New York Times the clicks. I'm going off of Nick Confessori's Twitter account because I don't want to give these people the clicks. So the New York Times, they had a big three-piece thing, three-part thing. Part one ran on in the Sunday edition, I guess. They're all online now, apparently. Nick Confessori is the lead reporter on this, and he's been tweeting extensively. He's, despa- he's probably spent a lot of time on this thing, and he's sitting there thinking, I shall get me a scalp, and it's just not happening. Nope. <laughs> Nobody cares. That's the problem when you lose all your credibility is that when you want it or you need it, it's not there. And you really need it when you're lying the most. And it's desperately needed here because they're lying about Tucker. He's some sort of white supremacist. He's a secret white supremacist. Tucker honestly doesn't give a damn about what anybody looks like. He doesn't give a damn what anybody does. If he's hiring you for a job, can you do the job? That's it. If he's around you, are you interesting? That's it. Are you smart? Are you funny? Are you entertaining? Period. That's all he really cares about. He doesn't suffer fools well, and uh, you shouldn't either. Nobody should. That's it. But they found conspiracy in everything, and they found Fox disgruntled former Fox employees who are mad about whatever, whatever they're mad, whatever it is that former Fox employees get mad about. And they jump on it. They found former Daily Caller employees who are mad about whatever. They've quoted one guy in there who was fired because he was secretly or let quit or I don't even know what it was, but he's gone because he was secretly posting under a different name on some alleged white supremacist website. I'd never heard of the website. I'm not going to give it publicity, but it's allegedly some white supremacist website. And he was posting horrible things on there. And he got fired for it because, well, you, you put your name on it. And what's funny, the funniest thing about, I mean, 
aside from my testimonial that uh, Tucker Carlson isn't racist, and I've known Tucker since 2008, um, <clears throat> his business partner, who's also a friend of mine, is a guy called Neil Patel. If you've ever heard the last name Patel, it is probably it's the Smith of um, of the Indian world of India. Neil Patel is his family is from India. He's an Indian American. Good guy, nice guy, funny guy. Not as funny as me, but still. But they have been best friends since high school, and they went into business together. Now this. Might sound a little absurd, a little stupid, and the left would love loves to pounce on things like this. Oh, well, you know, I have a, I'm not a racist. I have black friends. Oh, yeah, that's what all racists say. No, it's actually not what racists would say. If you're racist against black people, you and you're really racist, you don't have carve outs. If you're racist against white people, you don't have carve outs. Tucker's best friend is a guy who is brown skinned. Yes, it's true. Very smart guy, brilliant guy in business, but he's he's off white. Now, if you're a racist, you don't go, well, you know, he's got the wrong skin color, but I do like the cut of his business jib. So therefore, I shall befriend him for 30 some odd years. No, you don't you don't do that. That's not the way racism works. The New York Times doesn't seem to understand that concept. It always just cracks me up when somebody says, I have black friends, I'm not a racist, and the left always goes, well, that's exactly what a racist was. No, it's not. I don't know. I'm pretty sure that there aren't, you know, the grand wizard of the KKK is probably not good friends with a black dude. Probably not a big Dave Chappelle fan. All right? Just just going out there on a limb, I don't think that's the way the world works. I could be wrong. Somebody's free to correct me. But I don't think that's the way the world works. So that's kind of a problem for the times. Now, was anybody ever hired by Tucker who turned out to be something they were not sure? Of course they have been. You hire enough people, that's bound to happen to you. Let's just see. Has anything similar happened to the New York Times? Well, does the name Jason Blair mean anything to you or to anybody? Because it means something to me. Jason Blair was a so-called reporter who was hired at the the New York Times, a star reporter. Oh, he was a star on the rise. He was wonderful, except he was making his stories up. He's making the whole thing up. It's fraud. Absolute fraud. Now, is the New York Times responsible for this? Well, everybody. Obviously, everybody who works at the New York Times is just like Jason Blair because the New York Times hired Jason Blair once, right? Doesn't stand up to basic scrutiny. If your arguments, and they're arguments, it's not reporting, they're arguments, don't stand up to basic scrutiny, then you don't have very good arguments, Right? If it is reversed or turned on you, does the same hold? And if you say no for no other reason than you don't like the implication, A, your research is shoddy, B, your motivations might be the problem, and C, you're not particularly bright as a human being. Just saying. Just saying. Now, another thing they did about Tucker, they complained about Tucker's as he got more extreme. His monologues got longer. 
it's really an argument that Nick Confessori was making that these reporters were making in the New York Times. His monologues got more extreme and longer. Yeah, some of them, if you watch the show, can go up to like the 20 minute mark in the show. Rachel Maddow goes at least a half an hour. She very infrequently has guests. But that's cool because that's different because she and her bowl haircut working one day a week for $30 million a year are fighting for the little guy. Not giving their money to the little guy, but fighting for the little guy. So it's cool. They're on the same team. But Tucker's monologue has gotten longer. Tucker's interviews have gotten longer. Why is that? Why might that be? It's not some sort of conspiracy, as the New York Times would have you believe. It has more to do with the fact that the New York Times and the Media Matters and all of the other little Gestapo over there, the brown shirts on the left, have done what? Any company that advertises on Tucker's show gets an army of flying monkeys tweeting about it, going, why are you advertising on Tucker Carlson's show? This is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, and chases them off of it because companies, large corporations, by and large, have no uh, have em- empty fronts of their underpants. There's no testicular fortitude there. So they run away. That gives Tucker more time because there are fewer ads to sell, which is kind of funny because as there are fewer ads to sell, as Tucker talked longer, what happened? People tuned in more frequently. People tuned in for longer. Yes, longer. The time spent watching. In radio, it's time spent listening. It's it's everything. It's longer. More people tuning in because they're hearing, they're seeing the viral moments. Tucker's able to give more of his thoughts and not be so rushed. That creates more viral moments on social media, which causes more people to tune in, go, I want to see this stuff live. Which does what? A larger audience means more ad revenue. Means more expensive time being purchased. Not Still not as expensive as CNN, but... Fox makes the bulk of its money from carriage fees. They don't really have to worry about advertising. But the advertising that is available on Tucker's show has been snatched up at about double the price it used to be. So you have half the ads at double the price or more that you used to have them on, and guess what happens? Revenue stays the same or increases depending on how many ads you decide to sell. They don't need to sell as many ads on Tucker's show now to make a healthy profit. They're already doing that. The left created this. The law of unintended consequences. It's kind of funny. It couldn't happen to a nicer group of people. These uh, little... Eichmann's over at uh, Media Matters. God, they're just the worst human beings you could ever come across. They out there, you imagine, a, how miserable would you be if your job was to watch TV you hate and then write about it? But watch TV you hate and then write about it. You've got to be home every day because they want timely turnaround on this stuff. So, all right, I've got to be home at 8 o'clock every day because i got to watch Tucker. And if you watch Tucker, it makes your skin crawl. You feel disgusting. And you do it because that's the job. And then you have to write it up. 
everything you do, I mean, you don't have to do any research because research only hurts the left's cause, but they will write it up every single day. You've got to be home because if you, your stuff isn't posted by like nine fifteen, you haven't done your job. What a miserable existence that would be. What an awful, awful existence that would be. But it is hilarious that these people are out there trying to claim that, well, Tucker's racist and his show is problematic. And you're making him more popular because people tune in. And guess what they don't hear? If you tell somebody that this show is awful and it's just full of lies and disinformation, there will be a, con- a constituency who will never tune in. There are the people who, like the media matters of the world, are hoping against hope. Their job is to prevent somebody from watching Fox News. That's their job. It's not not so much to get Fox News canceled. They know they can't do that, but they want to prevent people from watching it. Then they say, you know, we watch Fox News so you don't have to. But realistically, what they're hoping for is and what they're shooting for is we watch Fox News so you won't. So please don't. Because if you watch Fox News, you're going to hear things you never heard on MSNBC or CNN. You've never read in the Washington Post or the New York Times. Things that ring true because they are true. The other side of the story. Now, you're not going to get somebody who's a left-wing brainwashed drone to watch a half an hour of Fox and go, I've seen the light. Oh, thank the Lord. But if they watch it enough, they might start to think about things differently. They might go to the Internet and go, hey, um, I'm going to look up this thing because this thing doesn't seem right to me. It's not what Rachel Maddow says. And then they look it up for themselves because they always took what Rachel Maddow said as gospel. And then they discover that Rachel Maddow has been lying to them by omission in most cases, but sometimes straight up there for years. And then they begin to question other things and questioning things questioning things, particularly authority, is danger, is dangerous to the left. They can't handle that. They cannot tolerate that. It's kind of funny. It's weird how they've got the reputation with all the the rock stars and the movie stars. Oh, yes, we're total rebels. No, you're not. You're the ultimate in conformity. You are the ultimate in conformity. That's who they are. They don't want you to do this. And something like this, this this hit piece that failed miserably because so many people are, are deputized now on social media that they are rebutting it themselves. This will lead to more liberals going, I've got to see, we've got Hitler or Father Coughlin. If you don't know who Father Coughlin is, uh, the dime store edition of who he is is in the... Uh, 30s and 40s, he was a progressive priest at a Royal Oak, Michigan. He got a church of the uh, Shrine of the Little Father, something like that. It's a really, uh, really nice church in Royal Oak, Michigan, right there off Woodward Avenue. Huge. He was wildly popular, raised millions of dollars because he had a national radio show. He's a bit of a demagogue who uh, got uh, seduced a little bit by the fame and used the fame for what he thought was right, but he made a ton of money, and he was a very populist priest. Uh, I think he might have run afoul a little bit of the Catholic Church. It's been a long time since I've thought of Father Coughlin, but he uh, he built that, that shrine on uh, Woodward Avenue, about, about 12 Mile, I think it is, 12 Mile Road in Woodward. Beautiful place. 
But he was an advocate. He was a thorn in the side of Democrats, a thorn in the side of politicians in general. Really, Democrats just happened to be in charge at that time. But he was one of the power players in 1930s, 1940s politics. They're trying to claim, compare Tucker to Father Coughlin now. It's kind of funny, to be honest with you. Look up who Father Coughlin is. You can find a much better history than I just gave you there. But it is... Uh, they tried to destroy Father Coughlin. They've tried to do the church and eventually reined him in. But there is no church to rein in Tucker Carlson. The people who come to watch his show will be angry, will be disgusted by what they hear. Then they might go, that doesn't seem right. That is so wrong. I shall go to the Internet and I will discover exactly how I will make the argument against him. And they won't be able to do it. That's the problem, because Tucker does his homework. You can disagree with his conclusions, but his facts are right. You can dislike his verbiage, but what he says is accurate. You can find more things to back it up or refute it if you want, sure. But the gist of what he says is true. It is only an hour show. It's just funny. The last thing that the New York, well, another, there was a lot of things. Another thing that the New York Times tried to attack Tucker on was absolutely hilarious. They had this little flow chart, this little chart of uh, like from 2015 through now of the number of guests, liberal guests that Tucker has had on his show. And they noticed that the number is dwindling. The number is dwindling. There are fewer and fewer left-wingers on as guests of the Tucker Carlson show. And this, they say, is a sign of his extremism. There it is right there in the early years. It's from the New York Times Twitter feed. In earlier years, Carlson regularly interviewed guests who debated him on issues, but he has uh, recently devoted far less airtime to opposing views. Of nearly 7,000 guest appearances since 2016, about 1,000 of them contradicted him. And there is a little thing, oh, there are fewer and fewer and fewer and far between liberals on his show. First of all, Rachel Maddow has nobody, I can't remember a single time, when Rachel Maddow has had anybody on her show she disagrees with, but that's beside the point. Uh, the point is that I know that Tucker Carlson does, in fact, try to get people who disagree with him on the show. He makes public announcements. I invite Congressman Schiff to return. To, Adam Schiff has been on the show. Come back on the show. We'll give you the whole hour. Come back. Sean Hannity does the same thing. Come on, we'll give you the whole hour. Eric Swalwell, come on. He used to be on there, but then he wised up and realized that he was looking like an idiot every single time, and he stopped going on. They uh, have these people on. They invite them still. It's different because I, I will say that Rachel Maddow's show has invited people. I had uh, a good friend of mine who was director of communications for a very conservative United States senator. And they were there were a couple of times when they were preparing it, pieces to attack him. And Rachel Maddow shows on at nine. So at about eight fifty, you get this email from Rachel Maddow's producer saying, Hey, we are going to attack you. We'd like comment on this and there'd be a long paragraph. We'd like comment on this. 
there's no time to like track down the senator. It's eight o'clock at night. He's probably at home or at an event or whatever. You couldn't possibly get back to them at time. Or they'd say, we'd like the senator to come on and discuss this. Maybe he can refute or defend himself against these allegations that we're making against him. Again, you can't track down a United States senator. Senators' schedules don't work that way, where it's like, all right, well, just give me five minutes and I'll be ready to go. They are pretty well booked from sunup to sundown most of the time. That enabled that email the way they did it. Enabled Rachel Maddow, and we reached out to Senator so-and-so's office for comment, but uh, we got no reply. Well, they had no time to have a reply. Or we invited Senator so-and-so on the program, but uh, they did not respond to our request. Yeah, because you made it 10 minutes before you wanted it on there. Even if he were at the ready to go, he wouldn't have been able to make it to the studios. It's kind of a, a scuzzy way they do things over there on the left. Whenever you hear that they didn't have comment, it generally means that we reached out. You saw the same thing with Taylor Lorenz, with uh, Christine Prashaw or whatever, who is uh, Ron DeSantis' spokeswoman. She got an email from... Taylor Lorenz saying, I need a comment about your relationship with uh, the libs of TikTok account. Uh, my deadline is an hour. No, you got an hour? Like, I don't even know what the hell you're talking about. What relationship? Never met this person. But you want a comment from me on this nebulous relationship and you're going to, to print in an hour. That's how the left works. That's how the left works. So they sit there and they say, well, Tucker, there's no diversity in the voices on Tucker Carlson's show. Well, let's take a trip into the Wayback Machine for a second, shall we? Senator Tom Cotton once published an op-ed in the New York Times, right? (laughs) Tom Cotton published an op-ed in the New York Times saying that we needed to send in the military to restore order back in 2020. We needed to send in the military to restore order in these cities where they were burning nightly, where the BLM Antifa riots were happening. Send in the National Guard, send in the military, restore order, stop this disorder, stop the murder, stop the violence, stop the destruction. They ran that. Tom Cotton's military man. Uh, it was not hyperbolic. Tom Cotton is a very serious man. The left read this. And, oh, my God, they went crazy. New York Times reporters were tweeting nonstop rebellions about how Tom Cotton's column was a threat. It was making New York Times reporters unsafe, particularly, and this is another example of the particularly or especially class that the left created, especially reporters of color. They literally tweeted this from the Times constantly, all these reporters at the Times were doing. It was a mini rebellion. All these Gen Xers uh, were sitting there going, what the hell's wrong with you people? And these millennials were going, we've been we've been affronted. This opinion piece is a threat to how? Well, because he's saying we need to restore order. It's Black Lives Matter. It's black. Most of the BLM protesters were white suburbanite wealthy kids. But that's beside the point. We need to stop this rioting. Oh, that's a threat to black people. So you think that black people riot, and that's it. That's what you're saying. No, nobody asked them that. It is. Um, it was absurd. It was hilarious. That was the last time the New York Times ran an opposing 
opinion piece back in 2002, and the editorial page editor was fired for running it. He was run out. The mutants on the lower rungs of the ship, the entry-level people, demanded a scalp, and they got the editor's scalp. Management of the New York Times had the opportunity to stand up and tell these people, you need to grow the hell up. You need to stop this. You need to, uh, I don't know, have your testicles descend from your, your stomach to where they're supposed to be and recognize that people have opinions. This is the opinion page, okay? Your lockstep, goose step, should I say, liberals, when it comes to everything else on the news page, but on the opinion page, you're supposed to have a variety of opinions, and they don't anymore. Because the guy who brought in a United States senator to say we needed to use the military, the show of force, not to mow down people, but a show of force to restore order to American cities, which was, by the way, were being torn apart. The black neighborhoods were being the ones that were being destroyed. Still haven't recovered. The left doesn't really give a damn. That's kind of an important part that they leave out. The black neighborhoods, the black-owned businesses were being destroyed. And uh, that opinion piece put black New York Times employees' lives at risk. So the New York Times accuses Tucker Carlson of somehow refusing, stopping, running away from having people who disagree with him on the show. When, in fact, he would... Knowing Tucker, he would prefer to exclusively have people who disagree with him on the show. He would prefer to exclusively. He really enjoys mixing it up. But they won't go on anymore. Was there a decree? What would be an interesting news story for the New York Times to do would be to go to the Democrats who used to appear on the show regularly, the Eric Swalwells and the Adam Schiffs, and say, why don't you do this show anymore? They'll come up with something like, oh, well, schedule, or he's too racist for me to go on. They'll come up with some BS excuse. The truth is they got sick of looking like idiots. They got sick of being exposed as fools. They do not like to have contrary opinions put to them. They'd much rather slide into the flannel sheets and warm blanket that is CNN and MSNBC, their style of journalism than to have somebody who dares question them in any realistic way. So it is the left who is the cowards who refuse to go on the show, and it is the New York Times that hasn't had a contrary guest opinion since 2000 when the leftist mob that now runs the Times claims that having an opinion on there was somehow a threat to black employees. Who's the hypocrite? Who's the real menace? Who's the real racist here? Why, it's the New York Times, of course. I want to uh, shift gears here for a second to play a game of um, which party has changed, I guess would be it was. I'm going to play a clip from a well-known politician back from 1992. It's a Democrat. His name was Bill Clinton. You might remember him, William Jefferson Clinton. And the question you to ask yourself as you listen to William Jefferson Clinton here is, would this fly in today's Democrat Party? Would this fly in today's Democrat Party or would this be denounced by today's Democrat Party as right-wing extremism? 
Were the New York Times editorial board, where would they fall on this? This is a commercial from Feb. It was uh, released on February 24th, 1992. So it was in the midst of Bill Clinton. He was not even the nominee for the Democrats yet. This was expressly to appeal to Democrats in the Democrat primary in a pretty large field of Democrats. So this at some point, at one point, was what Democrats themselves thought was the key. to, And they were right because Bill Clinton ended up winning. Uh, this was the key to winning Democrat votes in a Democrat primary. Brace yourselves. Because this would never be allowed. This, you would. Bill Clinton is not invited to speak at Democrat conventions because of his, uh, you know, problem with women. Even if he didn't have that problem with women, this thirty-second ad would be reason enough for the woke mob to want to cancel him. Growing up in the South, I learned values: hard work, family, faith, responsibility, concern for others. It's time to restore the dignity of work in America. That's why I've offered a plan to get this economy moving again and to create good jobs. And we must break the cycle of welfare dependency. We need to provide more education and training and child care and medical services. But then we must insist that when people can work, they must work. I want to end welfare as we know it and restore dignity and self-esteem to every American. <laughs> Would that guy be given a daytime speaking slot to test the microphones at the Democrat convention these days? That was what that was a primary ad. This was not a campaign ad in the general election where he's trying to triangulate against George W. Bush, George H. W. Bush and Ross Perot. This was he was up against who was it, uh, Paul Songus and, and Paul Simon and. Whoever else was running in 1992, I think those guys were running in 1992, there was a big Democrat field. And this is what he thought. This is this is the way to win more Democrats. That would get you run out of the dignity of work. Oh, work, you're, you're making fun of the able or the disabled. How dare you? Oh, welfare, that's code. That's racist dog whistle code. The Democratic Party has changed quite a bit in the ensuing 30 years has it not i think it has yeah i think it has <laughs> it's just but you get these think pieces from the washington post washington post by the way a guy called phil bump phil bump wrote an analysis which is just his opinion they call it analysis when they say no no i'm a serious journalist serious journalists don't give their opinions they do analysis oh all right <laughs> Um, it's just your opinion though. Yeah, but no, 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 it's an analysis. It's, it's, there's no other conclusion to be drawn from the, uh, set of data that I have chosen express, expressly to draw this conclusion. So therefore it's, it's not my opinion. It's just analysis. I'm still a totally legit journalist. He wrote a piece after Elon Musk last week tweeted out a political cartoon of, it was. It's actually kind of telling, and it's something I've been saying for a very long time, years now. It was a guy standing on the right, a guy standing on the left, and Elon Musk, or, well, it wasn't actually Elon Musk, uh, me, it just said. So the person who was doing it is actually the artist, not Elon Musk, but he found the picture and agreed with it, standing in the middle to the center, just to the left. The The artist was center left. And that was like 20 years ago, and then 10 years ago, and the, the 10 years ago, 
something still has the person standing in the center left and the person standing on the right, but the person on the left is taking off running to the left. And then the new one is the one at the bottom. The third one, modern day, is the person on the right still standing on the right. The person who was on the center left now on the center right without having moved, the center moved to the left because the left had moved so far to the left. If you have two, if you're sitting on a bench, this is the analogy I've always used. If you're sitting on a bench and you're sitting right next to somebody, right in the middle of the bench, you're both in the middle. You're both in the center. Well, if that person gets up and moves down to the extreme left, you're no longer in the middle, even though you haven't moved. The other person moved, creating a new middle simply because of the you know, what, what is the middle? They may have gone all the way to the extreme and the center has shifted, making you be further away from the center. And suddenly you are painted by them as an extreme. And they say, you have moved so far to the right, so far to the right. When in reality, you haven't moved at all or barely at all. They have moved so far to the left. It's a matter of perspective. You are so far away from where you were relative to them. That's what the point Elon Musk was illustrating with this political cartoon he'd found and was tweeted out. Well, Philip Bump said, no, 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 no. I have data that shows that it is, in fact, the Republicans who have moved to the right. And Elon Musk was just stating his opinion. You can't really fact check somebody's opinion. But Philip Bump tried and he did, you know, a thousand words and charts and graphs about all. Oh, look at and he, he cited scholars five liberal scholars, I believe it was, who all said, no, 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 it's the other side who's extreme, not us. Of course, of course. The Nazis were the heroes in their own stories, right? I mean, everybody's the hero in their own story. Nobody's a monster. But it was just funny that that is going on in the Washington, that's what the Washington Post decides to waste ink on is insisting that, well, we've got data points on various things that show. That, well, we've got actual real-life things that show. Okay? Bill Clinton could not get the Democratic nomination today if he ran as he did in 1992. John F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy would be, he'd be a conservative Republican now. He cut taxes to stimulate the economy. He did not like communism. He was in the military. He was pro-military. He stood, the, All of these things would never in a million years fly in the Democratic Party today. That they still hold him. Oh, JFK, so wonderful. You know, JFK was JFK was Bill Clinton before Bill Clinton was Bill Clinton. All the things they dislike about, well, all of the things they find currently politically inconvenient about Bill Clinton. They uh, they were done 10 times over by JFK while president. Bill Clinton did most, not all, but most of his philandering, because it's got harder to do it while you're in the White House. He did most of his philandering before he got into the White House. JFK was doing it into the White House. JFK was doing it sometimes with members of the press. So, uh, yeah, things have changed. But for some reason, JFK, because they need somebody that anybody knows anything about to be able to say, we're the party of this person. 
they, they far enough away that like we're the party of Barack Obama. Yeah, we know Barack Obama sucked. We're the party of Joe Biden. Yeah, for uh, Joe Biden. We're the party of Jimmy. Car- no, we don't want to be the party of Jimmy Carter. So they have to go. Pretty much nobody wants to be the party of LBJ. Uh, JFK. We'll go back to JFK. Tells you something about that party, doesn't it? And how far they've come since just 1992. Just 1992. But it's not just our Democrats, our leftists, our progressives. It is progressives everywhere. Let's go north of the border to Canada. I'm willing to bet that you've never heard of the concept of menstrual equity. Am I right? I'm probably right. You probably never heard of it because you likely surround yourself and live your life surrounded by people who are not complete idiots and leftist tools. Just a guess, but I I think it's important to note. There is a member of the Canadian Parliament up there uh, named, let's see if I can butcher this name, Anju Dillon. The Anju part, I think, I think I nailed her name, A-N-J-U, and then Dylan is Dylan, D-H-I-L-L-O-N. She is a left-wing member of the the UK, the Canadian Parliament. They have somebody up there, in addition to Anju Dylan, named Jenna Suds, Jenna Suds, S-U-D-D-S, She is the Minister for Women and Gender Equity and Youth. God, what a. How do you live with yourself? I don't understand how people do jobs that are absolutely so devoid of meaning and use. But they do them. They do it with government uh, salaries and pensions. So, I mean, who's the sucker here? Us or them? But uh, the Member of Parliament asks Jenna Suds a question about. Well, let's just listen to the... By the way, this is all scripted. I think I retweeted. If not, I'm retweeting it right now. Uh, it'll be in my Twitter feed. You can see the uh, the exchange. They are both reading their scripts, which means that somebody, one of their strategists somewhere along the line said, this is an exchange that Canada needs to... and the world needs to see. They did this on purpose. And the delivery is about as... Uh, as genuine as you'd expect from non or from two politicians reading a script in their hands, but it is about menstrual equity. Here's the question. Madam Speaker, period poverty is a real issue affecting Canadians all over the country. People who menstruate should have access to menstrual products when they need them. Can the Parliamentary Secretary of Women and Gender Equality and youth share what our government is doing to support menstrual equity? Thank you. Period poverty, menstrual equity, people who menstruate. Something missing that seemed to be talking about women. Now, how can you have gender equity if gender doesn't exist? How How can there be a minister of women and gender equity if women don't exist, if gender doesn't exist? They don't address that. Liberals, they get to make up the rules as they go. And they, uh, which is a good thing because they they can't live any other way. Everything else they do is so wildly stupid and, and bizarre that if you had to, if you were bound by the laws of reality, you just wouldn't function. You just wouldn't be able to function. So along comes Jenna Suds to talk, and they're both reading. Can you please talk about what you're doing? Um... <laughs> 
She does. She does. Thank the honourable member for her question. Madam Speaker, menstrual products are a basic need and are essential to uphold Canadian sexual and reproductive health and rights. They ensure that people who menstruate can continue to participate in school and work and in their communities. However, period stigma still exists and create barriers for Canadians every day. That's why as part of Budget 2022, our government has allocated $25 million starting this year and continuing into next to pilot a menstrual equity fund to make menstrual products available to people who need them. (laughs) To the people who need them. You know, it could be anybody. Who's to say who's going to need menstrual products? You must have it available to everybody because at a moment's notice, anybody could need it. Anyone could need it. Honestly, this is uh, Western civilization almost deserves to be destroyed. We're the last bastion of sanity. We in this country on the right, we have to push back. We have to push back even harder or else there's going to be some serious problems. It's already happening in some left wing states. Oregon, the governor of Oregon passed the Menstrual Dignity Act, signed the uh, Menstrual Dignity Act which requires all schools, elementary, middle, high school, starting next year, to place the uh, sanitary products necessary for women in all bathrooms, boys' and girls' bathrooms. Why? Why? Well, because you never know. You never know who somebody... Men might be able to start menstruating. Let me just tell you this again. This is a public service announcement. It shouldn't need to be said, but it apparently needs to be said that if you are bleeding from your nether... Men, men out there, not women, men, if you're bleeding from there... Get to the emergency room. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Get to the emergency room right now. Call 911. Get an ambulance to come pick you up because that is not normal. That is not healthy. That is not right. If it is regular and uh, you can set a clock by it, nope, still, get to the hospital. That is not healthy. That is dangerous. There's something seriously wrong with you if you're a man. If you're a woman, you know, sorry, you've got products for you in the ladies' room. That's biology. Your desire for biology to be different has no impact on biology, ever. Reality is not dependent upon your belief in it. And along those lines, just to get, illustrate the point of absurdity that we're at in society, I saw this headline on uh, Twitter over the weekend. I thought it couldn't be real. Then I Googled it. And it's a story that ran in the Tennessean in Nashville. It ran on April 1st of this year. It was updated on April 4th. And there's no way it does indicate that it's an April Fool's joke. The, head, the headline is, I don't know anybody like me, and quote, colon, Meet Nashville's trans, queer, Latinx, neurodivergent theologian. That's a hell of a title. It's a burden it must carry to be the only, Nashville's only trans, queer, Latinx, neurodivergent theologian. And it's somebody called Robin Henderson Espinoza. 
of Nashville-based public theologian. I don't know what the hell a public theologian is. You don't really, I don't, who pays you for this? Robin Henderson Espinoza is the only Nashville-based trans, queer, Latinx, neurodivergent public theologian that they know. Yeah, because they use third-person plural pronouns. Quote, I don't know anybody like me, Henderson Espinoza, who uses gender-neutral pronouns, said in an interview. Yet it was only recently when Henderson, 45, got to know their self better, such as the diagnosis that they're on the autism spectrum. You sit there and you read this whole thing. It is um, it is a case study in a mental breakdown. It really is. This person is large and covered in tattoos and and self-esteem like you wouldn't believe as the day is long and an embrace of victimhood. 2018, Henderson Espinoza is 45, so it is making 40. Henderson Espinoza discovered that they are on the autism spectrum. And then they embraced that. This woman embraced it because it's another layer of I'm a victim. This is what we're churning out in our public schools. This is what we're churning out in academia. I don't know what the hell a public theologian is, but I don't think it's a real job that you can just declare yourself at like being a diversity officer. But this is the new left, ladies and gentlemen. CNN, now let's talk about CNN for a second because they had, uh, they always, Brian Stelter, Uncle Fester, grew up in the Baltimore area. And uh, while I wasn't born here and I've lived here for since 2001, so I apologize. I feel partially responsible for his existence, this Uncle Fester of a creature out there who he and his wife have like social media accounts for their infant children. That's how perverse these people are. Um, honestly, look it up. Uh, he has on David Zerwick, who is the, I guess he's the media critic or writer for the Baltimore Sun here. He's been around forever. He's on there because, like I said, Stelter watched him. Zerwick is, he kind of looks like the crypt keeper. If you, if you took 150 pounds off of Stelter, he'd look like David Zerwick in a lot of ways. But Stelter looks like he ate David Zerwick in most ways. But he has David Zerwick on because I imagine his breed of fascism inspired Brian Stelter's breed of fascism. And you always you know, have your heroes on if you can. And that brought about this moment from Sunday, where David Zerwick is very, very upset. He wants speech regulated on the Internet. He's afraid. And it tells you something about these leftists. They're afraid of free speech. They're terrified of their fellow Americans, you and me, being able to say what we want. They're horrified by that prospect. It frightens them. It really does. That means that they either are held in, either they believe that the only thing stopping us from rampaging, being rampaging monsters, is the fact that somebody might uh, fire us or cancel culture or something like that. Or they are admitting without admitting it that the only thing holding them back from saying really disgusting, horrible, vile, racist, sexist, homophobic things is the idea that they'll be canceled and they're projecting that on the rest of us. They'll tell you it's the former, but I think it's more the latter. 
But if you're horrified at the prospect of people being able to speak freely, there's something wrong with you as a person. Listen to David Zerwick from Uncle Fester's show this Sunday. No, I think there's a bigger problem that when we focus on the personalities of people like Elon Musk and people say, oh, I think Elon's thinking this or that. There's a bigger problem here about how we are going to control the channels of communication in mm -hmm. this country. In 1927, we had the Radio Act. 1934, the Communications Act. Congress stepped in. We made rules. FCC wasn't great, but it's still regulating the broadcast industry. You right. can't use vulgar language. You can't do all these things with speech. We gave over our, our what amounts to our airwaves or our Internet waves to Mark Zuckerberg, and Elon Musk. And we are in so much trouble because those guys believe in making money. We've already seen that with the 2016 election mm. in Zuckerberg when he was taking rubles for ads from Russia and say, oh, I think it's crazy to think they had any influence on this election. Yeah, that, uh, that Russian money. From, I mean, how paranoid do you have to be? How much do you have to, how afraid of other people being able to speak do you have? They're afraid of, they're, they're in favor of profit. <laughs> How much did Russia spend on Facebook ads, right? How much did they spend? Estimates had it between $5,000 and $50,000 on the 2016 election. $5,000 dollars $15,000, most of which was spent on left-wing advocacy to stir up the hornet's nest that is the progressive mob, of which David Zerwick probably thinks himself above, but is in fact a part of. If you can do that for $50,000, we'll give him the high end, $50,000, then I want to hire you as a political consultant. If you can influence a presidential election with $50,000, every candidate in the world would want to hire you in a second. What David is really afraid of, and he'll use the straw man of Russia, disinformation, they're running ads, that if you look at those ads, they're so damn stupid as to be hilarious. Uh, but you'd have to, it takes a special breed of stupid, a democratic breed of stupid, to believe them. But if that's what you believe, then you're just as dumb as they are. David Zurich wasn't done, though, because they never are done, are they? Mm. Musk is the same. Musk doesn't want it. Oh, you know, he's upset with the SEC, tried to, how dare they question him? You know what I'm saying? This is dangerous. We can't think anymore in this country. We don't have people, <laughs> no, I'm serious. We don't have people in Congress who can make regulations that can make it work. I think we can look to the Western countries in Europe for how they are trying to limit it. But you need, you need controls on this. You need regulation. You cannot let these guys control discourse in this country or we are headed to hell. We are there. Trump opened the gates of hell and now they're chasing us down. Wait, we gotta get it. No, I uh, the Crypt Keeper warning you that we're going to hell because of too much free speech. Too many people. Trump opened the gates of hell and Elon Musk is taking us there if we don't have the government, i.e. people he agrees with, because I guarantee you this little uh, bold avenger would not be saying this same thing were Republicans in the White House. No, 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 we can't. Uh, the, uh, if a Republican said, all right, we're considering doing exactly what David Zerwick says there. What would David Zurich's of the world be saying? Well, we can't have that. That's fascism. That's government. government is trying to control speech. No. These people want a dictatorship. They just want their team to be the dictators. 
It's that simple. That's how the left works. They want the power. They see things and they want them to be a certain way rather than work for them to get that way. They insist that government use that power to do it. Now, they want to exempt themselves. They want to make sure that they're taken care of. They get to what they want to do, but uh, not you. You are the enemy. They are your betters. They need to make the laws because you're sitting here exercising your free speech and more likely saying the wrong things. What if you said something that offended somebody? What if you did something that uh, that offended somebody, uh, a trans person of color? That's the most protected class in the whole world, according to the left. You would be a monster. Well, you could just tell that person to grow the hell up. You could just look away. You could try to refute whatever it was that person says. But no, that's not good enough for the left. What they like, they want to subsidize. What they oppose, they want to ban. And everything falls into one of those two categories. There is no sliding scale. You're either in favor of it and they want to throw all of our money at it to make everybody use it and love it or they want to prevent anybody from ever even contemplating doing it, saying it, thinking it, or whatever. That's that's fascism. couple last things, couple last clips before we say goodbye for the day, ladies and gentlemen. Second, I should do the rest of the show with a vague French accent, you see? You can do these sorts of things with anybody you know. Um First, let's talk, since we're talking about bald people, let's talk about Secretary uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, Secretary of Homeland Security. He made the rounds. He has resting douche face. He really does. Just take a a look at Mayorkas. He has one of the most arrogant looks on his face all the time. I'm better than all of you, and I'll sit here, and and, uh, I'll I'll humor you. I'll bless you with my my presence, and that's it. Just, Just really... One of the most all-time annoying faces. He made the rounds, like I said, on the uh, the shows. He was over on CNN. He was even on Fox talking about his new uh, disinformation board. The clips, quite frankly, of that are worthless. One thing I can tell you about that is beware anybody who uses five words when one will do. Who use the more words that they use when the fewer words will do, the more you should avoid that person. My Argus was asked on CNN, the audio recorded horribly, so I'm not going to play it, but was asked about, uh, you know, this board, what will it do? Oh, we're not going to do anything. We're going to, we, we've been doing this for years and we'll continue to do this. And well, will, will you spy it? Will you use this to monitor Americans? No, we won't because we we will not. And blah blah blah. And it goes on and on and on. And talk about they have no statutory authority to do that. Oh yeah, no government never oversteps its bounds, dude. Never oversteps its bounds in any way, shape, or form. Just say no. If you mean, if the answer is no, you just give the answer no. No, we never would. Never. Not on my watch. I'll make damn sure that doesn't happen. If anybody does it, uh, they'll be held to pay. Instead, he goes on about a two-minute monologue about how, no, 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 this is this is something government has been doing for a very long time, and now they've just got this advisory board, and it's nothing to worry about. And, and I'm thinking, if this is, this is uh, just a, an advisory board, a worthless advisory board, then why did you hire that weirdo theater chick to leave her job 
to go and work? Why does he need a full-time appointment for this position? If it's just, you know, a monitoring thing, they get together once a month, like the super friends, and they'll uh, they'll have a chat about it. No, there's more to it than this. They're being dishonest, and you can tell by the way that he uses a whole lot of words to just say no. He doesn't actually say no. Well, he says no, and then he qualifies it with about uh, 1,500 words. He was also asked about the southern border, claiming that the border is, they've got effective control over the border, which is a load of garbage. This administration is full of some of the worst liars in the world, and we have a media who has no interest whatsoever in holding them accountable. Under normal circumstances, there would be jobs and awards for journalists, real awards, not the made-up ones, for uh, exposing these people. Instead, you get a big, long piece in Politico the other day about how it's really boring to cover the Biden White House because if you take on Ginger Goebbels, she makes you look like an a-hole. She's so good at her job. Their words, not mine. And there's just no, it's boring because there's no scandals. Yeah, it's really boring if you ignore all the scandals, then there are no scandals, right? None whatsoever. Anyway, Secretary Mayorkas was asked about immigration. This would be a scandal under a normal under a Republican administration. Was asked about immigration, and his response is that the southern border was so bad, but it's bad everywhere around the world, so it's not really bad. It's not really his fault. Listen to this. This is not a phenomenon that the United States experiences alone. There are 1.8 million Venezuelans in Colombia. Um, the Nicaraguans comprise almost 2% of the population in the small country of Costa Rica. We're seeing migration because of challenges mm-hmm. that are not, you know, restricted to this area. They are global. I don't care. By the way, the Venezuelans are there because it's close, right? They got the hell out of Venezuela. They ran from socialism, which you Democrats are trying to impose here. They ran to Colombia. How sad does your country have to be that you run to Colombia? for safety. But I don't really care what's going on in the rest of the world. We're getting the vast majority of these people. It's your job to stop it. Immigrating, you don't get to seek asylum because your economics in your country suck. It's not part of a legitimate legal asylum claim, but Democrats don't care. They just want to get them in the country and they know that they'll never get out. Migrants, by the way, they are not. Migrants migrate. Migrants come in with the jobs and leave when the jobs are done. They come in with seasonal work, planting, and then they go. Then they come back for harvesting, and then they go. These people are not here for planting and harvesting. They are never planning on going, and Democrats don't want them to go because they are future Democrat voters, they think, if they just get them citizenship. So that it's happening. Well, Costa Rica has – I don't care about Costa Rica. Why should I give a damn about Costa Rica? I'm not Costa Rican. Why should a Costa Rican give a damn about the Americans? You shouldn't. Figure out your own problems. Your job is not to grouse about what's going on in Costa Rica. It's your job to protect the American people. And every American who is killed or injured or robbed by an illegal alien is your responsibility. I'd love to see them held accountable for that. Speaking of accountability, <clears throat> lastly today, I want you to play. I want to play this clip. This is from. Uh, this is something that the Maine Department of Education is promoting on their website. It is a 
kindergarten teacher advocating to other kindergarten teachers about the importance of talking about and how to talk about with kindergartners trans issues. Not, not even kidding. And the T stands for transgender. A transgender person is someone who the doctors made a mistake about when they were born. When a baby is born, the doctors will tell the parents what gender they think that baby is. They'll say, we think your child is a female or we think your child is a male. But some people, when they get a little bit older, realize what the doctors said was not right. They might say that the doctors told me I was a man, but I'm really a woman. Or they might say, the doctors told me I'm a woman, but I'm really a man. And so when they grow up and they can tell people that the doctors made a mistake about their gender, then they can transition to be the gender that they actually are. This is so damaging. This is so dangerous. And then you've got Rachel Levine, the dude chick admiral in the Biden administration, the civil admiral, who is the deputy secretary of health and human services, saying over the weekend that every single pediatrician agrees that Gender-affirming surgery is important, is important and necessary. And like, really, every single pediatrician in the country says you should go ahead and uh, mutilate the genitals of children. Well, then we cannot take, we need a new batch of pediatricians. We need a new batch of pediatricians. If that were the uh, solution to all that ails you, the suicide rate amongst trans people would not be through the roof, right? Would it? No, it wouldn't. Because that ain't the problem. It's in their heads. Anyway, we're out of time for today. Maybe we'll get more into this tomorrow. I appreciate the use of your ears. Share the show. Tell people to tune in. And we'll be back here tomorrow. Have a great one. Bye.